Well, amen. This morning they came out and said they were going to sing, and I said, well, that's interesting. <laughs> Boy, was that, that was more than interesting right there. Wow. I think we've uh, stumbled across something. That was really good. Boy, wow, great blend. They say family members have good blend, and now Mark and Morgan are family. See how well they blend? <laughs> well, they're a married couple, so they're family, right? Okay. Wow. Okay, tough crowd tonight. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, we've been dealing with our Back to God series. Our Back to God series. And, uh, you know, we want to pick up where we've left off and we're going to kind of kick off into another area, all right? So we're going to talk about being, getting back to soul winning. Back to soul winning. And again, uh, I know someone says, well, we're already doing that. Uh, yeah, but we can always do a better job of it, and it's something we cannot let down. We can't, we can't let the guard down, so to speak. So I want to touch on it. I think it's important that we do that because, see, this series isn't just about what we're doing. It's about as we look around us and we see what's transpiring and taking place in Christendom and, in, and, and even fundamentalism today and the Baptist churches even across America, we see a transition, a change taking place. And Boy, I'll tell you what, we, we have to be very careful right now because the trend is not toward this, it's against it. And we have to be careful. In years past, of course, uh, Christian churches of all different stripes 
uh, I mean all different stripes, would aggressively witness and share their faith throughout their daily lives, whether it be at work or school or home or door-to-door even. And today, that has virtually become a pastime for most. It's gone. It's over with. It's, it's no longer the case. A new wave of witnessing is wrapped up in benevolence. You know, it's kind of like if you just got to be kind to people, good to people, do something for someone. I mean, the better part of outreach today is centered around meeting a physical need. That's kind of how many people, many churches have kind of turned their attention to just meeting needs. And uh, for instance, um, maybe passing out water bottles that possess a gospel label to thirsty onlookers. Possibly uh, cleaning up the park or planting flowers in a median strip on the highway or repairing bicycles at a local park or low-income housing development. That's kind of replaced the biblical mandate found in Acts chapter 5. Again, there's nothing wrong with doing some of those things, but if those are our sole ways, if that's the real uh, foundational way in which we reach a world with the gospel, we're missing the boat because in Acts chapter 5 verse 42, the Bible says, and daily and in the temple, excuse me, and daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Now again, someone might say, well, yeah, but back then that was important because they didn't have enough room even to house all the Christians. They had to go house to house. Let me tell you something. There's still a need for the word of God to be in every home in America. And how's it going to get there? It's certainly not going to be on television these days. It's certainly not going to, and, and in many cases, it's not even on the radio. You know, what I find to be interesting is when we had our radio broadcast, and we had it for a number of years, for, and we, 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 we kind of stepped back from that for a short time for a number of reasons, but hopefully one day here in the near future we'll be back at that. But one of the things we made a decision a long time ago before we ever got on the radio was that we were not going to get on a Christian radio station. I want to be on a secular radio station. And someone says, well, why would you want to do that? They're more expensive. It costs more money. I know. We went to the, at the time, we went to the, the most, uh, basically the most popular radio station in our area, Akron area, Akron Canton area. And we said, we want to get on that station because that's the one that reaches the most lost people. It costs more than all the others, for sure. But the point was, we're trying to reach a people that are without Christ. So why do I want to get on a Christian station? You know, I really don't want a bunch of people from other churches flocking to this church. What I want to do is reach a world with the gospel and have them come flocking to the church. You know, I mean, isn't that how God wants us to do it? Reach the lost and bring them in. And so we sought to do that, and that's important. And the message of Jesus Christ, you know, years ago was being taught and preached and, and by many, many different churches around the neighborhood and in homes and houses. That's how it was in the early church. That's how it is. It was not that awfully long ago. But, you know, let's be honest. That's not how it is today, really. There are not too many churches that are reaching out into the community with the gospel message aggressively, confrontationally. And in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, the Bible says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It wasn't that long ago, just a few weeks ago, that Brother Mark, who just sang that song, gave a, 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 a kind of inspirational speech, if you will, a message on this issue of, of soul winning during our rally. We like to have somebody speak right before we go out. And he brought a, the, a really good point out of the passage. And he said, Into, into all the world, into all the world. And boy, I'll tell you what, that's a, that's a powerful thing. Not unto the world, into it. We don't just come up to here, we literally get in it. Boy, I tell you what, that's important. When you're knocking on a door, you're in it. When you're at work, you're in it. And when you're at school and you're witnessing and carrying the God, you're in it. 
You know, when you're taking it into the school system, you're in it. Boy, I'll tell you, it's important that we take the gospel into, that we go personally into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And of course, we know that word gospel, of course, it's been mentioned over and over and over again, probably not just by me, but by so many others. It begins with two letters, G-O, go. Boy, I'll tell you what, we got to carry the gospel into the world. It's our responsibility. It's important that we do that. There is nothing inherently wrong with demonstrating kindness or consideration for our fellow man, for fellow man. It's important. We've, we need that. We must do those things. Acts of benevolence can, can, are, are wonderful, and they're necessary, and they're needful, and often they build a platform by which we can speak. But let me tell you, they can't be our sole means. They cannot replace the biblical command to go. That's all. It just can't replace it. And so the last 50 years, we've experienced a marked decline in churches that participate in confrontational evangelism. If you go to churches across the area and you would ask the question, do you have an organized soul winning time? Most people would look at you and go, what are you talking about soul winning time? What's that? If you would say outreach, they may say, oh, we have outreach here. Could you describe your outreach? You'd be surprised what you'd hear. You'd think, that's what outreach is? As much as they'd be surprised from what you consider outreach, you'd be surprised by what they consider outreach. You know, it's both, it's, it's very different. And yet, there's so many positive things both ways. Brother Mark and I talked about that. There's some things we could borrow, folks, from, from churches that are going that direction. I'm not saying that we abandon what we're doing, but we'd be wise sometimes, maybe, to think about how to get into the world a little bit more effectively. And we need to work at that, okay? But by the same token, you can't abandon the biblical mandate to go. And so that's what we talk about. When we're talking about soul winning, we're talking about confrontational soul winning. You know, face-to-face, dealing with the gospel. And then the last 50 years, that has truly changed, and it is not nearly like it used to be in churches. Now, there's a hymn. And I'm talking about him versus her. I'm talking about a him, H-Y-M, and <laughs> I had to look that real quick. I had to make sure I spelled that correctly. It says, hold the fort, for I am coming. Jesus signals still. Wave the answer back to heaven. By thy grace we will. And that's a great song. But see, I have a real aversion to that chorus. You'll notice we've never, we don't sing that here. Can I tell you why? <clears throat> I don't want to adopt, I don't want to adopt a hold the fort mentality here. I don't want to hold no forts. I want to go out and take ground. I mean, don't you want to go out and take ground? The Bible says, go ye into all the world. Man, I don't want to hold the fort till Jesus comes back and rescues us. I mean, the primary focus in ministry, if, if we adopt a, 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 a you know, kind of philosophy of that, it would be to weather the storm, to nurture the saints until Jesus returns. I'm just going to keep, let's keep licking our wounds. Let's just keep holding the fort. Let's just keep building the walls higher. Let's keep the world out. I don't want to keep the world out. I want to, I want to keep the world out of this. I want to keep the world out of my heart. I want to keep the world out of my home. But I don't want to keep, I don't want to stay out of the world. 
I got to step into it to reach the world. I don't want to stay behind closed doors. I don't want to stay behind these wall, the walls of this church. I want to get out into the world where the people are, where souls are, those that need Christ. And so I, we don't sing Hold the Fort around here. And if we do, it's because the song director forgot. But I don't think we've sang it. I don't, how was the last time we sang Hold I don't even know if it's in our songbook. We might have went through and cut the page out. I don't know. <laughs> Let's face it. There's too much at stake today to just relax and rest inside the walls of this church. And, and at times it's tempting, isn't it? It's like at home, you know. Sometimes it's just nice to go home and sit down and do nothing. Just to do nothing. And you don't want nobody to knock at your door. You don't want to have to get up and answer it. You don't want to have to go to grandma's or mom or dad's. You don't want to do nothing but just sit in your house and just go, Well, I'll tell you what, churches can adopt that philosophy. We can get to the place where we just want to sit and soak and rest. And I don't know. That's not what God intended for us. So the, the answer to this and a myriad of other problems is, not to depart from the tried, proven, tested method of the Word of God, but rather return to it. If we've got problems, if, if we see that lives are being wrecked and ruined, we see that marriages are being overthrown and families divided due to a departure from biblical roles, we watch this, we see this, we, there's evidence of it all around us. What do we do about that? Well, we hold the fort. No, we don't hold the fort. We have to get back to the proven, tried, tested method. Let's get back to doing what works. Let's get back to doing what God told us to do. And so what has brought us to this departure from biblically, the biblically proven method of reaching the world with the gospel? I mean, what, what's, what's kind of caused this departure? What's brought it about? And that's what I want to talk to you about over these next this week or two is just what's brought us to that place? I mean, it's obvious we're not there as a whole. I mean, in, in, in churches across the, uh, the, the area even, again, I mean, why is it now that churches that used to be very, very aggressive in their outreach are no longer aggressive in their outreach? What's changed? What's happened? Well, I just want to share a couple of thoughts and We'll see if we can't learn something and be encouraged to continue to do what we do and more of it even. So let's pray. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd bless us and help us tonight. And thank you, Lord, for the, the opportunity that we have to gather today, Lord, as a church family to, Father, consider this issue of getting back to soul winning. And Lord, I understand, Lord, that as a church, we are plugged in and we're trying and we're working at it, but Lord, the truth is, every one of us in the room know we could do a little better job of it, or maybe a lot better job, but Lord, we certainly realize, Lord, that if we don't reach the world, that there's no hope for them. So Lord, give us grace. Help us, Father, to understand maybe what has caused us to get where we are in Christianity today, and may it help us not to end up to go further that direction, but instead put the brakes on and make sure we continue to go the opposite direction and follow the word of God and not follow the present trends. We desperately need you, Lord. And bless us for our faithfulness and for our obedience as you always have, and I am confident you always will. In Christ's name, amen. So what's brought about this departure from the biblically proven method of reaching the lost 
in the world, this world in which we live? Well, first of all, I believe the departure from soul winning to visitation in the church. It used to be soul winning was priority. And it seemed like we went from being a primarily emphasizing soul winning, taking the gospel to the world, to simply visiting or inviting. And let's face it, soul winning is work. Soul winning is sacrifice. It, it's not easy. And it requires study, and it requires preparation and time. It requires a lot of practice, and it, it, it requires an impeccable testimony. You've got to have a testimony. It requires a number of things that aren't always easy to come by. Soul winning implies confrontation. I mean, we talk about soul winning, we're, we're talking about literally taking a gospel message to a world. A, a message of Christ, a message of, of, yes, forgiveness, but also a message reminding people of their sin. It, it implies confrontation. I mean, to say things like, if you die tonight, are you 100% sure where you will spend eternity? That doesn't just flow off your lips unless you've practiced it. That doesn't just come out, that doesn't, that's not something you just feel so comfortable asking someone if you haven't prepared yourself and you haven't prayed and you haven't really worked at it. Because I'm going to tell you something, the moment you say that, you know that there's going to be a response. And it's not always going to be pleasant. It's not always going to be what you want to hear. That, 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 listen, that question or the, the, the desire, the need, I should say, the need to ask that question musters up real feelings of fear and anxiety in most of our hearts. I mean, I, I don't mind going and say, hey, did the Indians win tonight? To the guy at the gas station. Hey, what'd you think about those Cavaliers? No problem. But to say, hey, let me ask you a question. If you die tonight, are you 100% sure where you'd spend eternity? Wow, that makes me a little bit... You know what I mean? That one can muster up some real anxiety. You know, maybe I'll just pay at the pump. Because it makes you nervous. The thought of confronting somebody. And again, in many cases, I understand they're quite busy, they're taking care of business and, and we're not going to try to take them from their work, but even just to pass a track can muster up some real anxiety. You know, the culture's kind of complicated matters in this area. And the culture's kind of affected the church and its potential workforce. We would like to believe we're impervious to the culture, but we're not, are we? We're affected by the culture. There's been a departure from what? Absolute truth. And, and instead, there's been relativism that's been kind of inserted in its place. And what we mean by that is simply this, that, that there are no absolute truths. And because it, it's because truth is always relative to some particular frame of reference. Like, let me give you an example. Let's say, you and I would say, you know what? An absolute truth is, thou shalt not steal. We'd say stealing is wrong. That's an absolute truth. Relativism would say this. Well, stealing may be wrong, 
but my child has this disease which will ultimately take his life if I don't get the medicine I need. He doesn't get the medicine he needs. So I broke into the pharmacy and stole his me- the medication because I could not afford it otherwise. And his life was on the line. So it is wrong to steal unless there's a good reason for it. That's relativism. That's, that, that's relativism. Now, now listen, biblically, it's always wrong to steal. And someone says, so you would let that child die instead of steal the medication? Well, let me, let's, let's ask a different question. Is God big enough to provide the medication if he wants the child to have it? Let's, let's quit, you know, why do we have to become God? I'm just saying, is it wrong or right? Biblically, it is wrong to steal. It's never right to steal. Is that correct? Is that true? Biblically, it's an absolute truth. The culture has redefined what truth is based on relativism. And you know what? You know what that makes it hard to do now as believers? Tell anybody they're wrong. You're like, whoa, I don't want to tell anybody they're wrong because... Nobody's really wrong ever. Because <laughs> that's like based on, well, I mean, it's, it depends on your frame of reference whether you're wrong or not, right? It's called relativism. Yeah. So it's affected the church. Not only that, but there's a thing called toler, to, uh, toleration today. Toleration has become the norm for the day. You know, you, we're required, we're, we're expected to tolerate all kind of things that in the past were just wrong. You, you take homosexuality, lesbianism, abortion, transgenderism, drug use, alcohol, divorce, immorality. All of it's acceptable. You cannot tell somebody that stuff's wrong. I'll be frank with you, financially, as a, as a tax-paying citizen, I struggle rewarding people that are drug addicts by putting them on the system and allowing them to eat, drink, sleep, and use, have all the medical they want, because they simply have a disease. That's a problem for me. I don't know about you, but that bothers me a little bit. I, but you know what's happened, though? It's not their fault. You have to consider the circumstances and the situation. Being a drunkard is not really the person's fault anymore. They're not a decision to make anymore. They don't have to choose not to do it any longer. They can't help it anymore. Relativism has fed their, it's, it's gotten its claws into the culture and society. And it, unfortunately, even in this room, we've bought into the lies. And unfortunately, that, that I'm not saying that people don't need help sometimes. I'm just saying that it is wrong that we are, we are giving a pass to everything today, and toleration is the word for the day. Right. Acceptance of others' views, opinions, and actions has been expected and even demanded by our society. You will not have your own opinion about certain things anymore. Those things are no longer wrong, and you can't say they are, or you just hate people. Well, what's, that's ridiculous. Do we still have a God in heaven? Is there still a Bible? Well, let me tell you how that affects a soul winner now. If you're not careful, 
you, you find yourself being a little bit edgy. You find yourself being a little gun shy to confront people with sin because you know they could possibly unload both barrels. Because they're being told that no one can tell them they're wrong today. And that everyone has to tolerate their sin, their selfishness, their self-centeredness. And you think, well, I'm not going to be the one to tell them. So sometimes it'd be just easier to hold the fort. If they want to hear what we have to say, they'll come to us. But I'm not going to them. I'm not going to have them blow up on me. You say, well, you've got to love them anyway. You might as well just embrace everyone. You're right. You do have to love them. I don't know why that seems so hard to people. I, I don't, I mean, honestly, you, if you've got a problem loving a homosexual, there's something wrong with you as a believer. I'm serious. If you really got a problem with that, my goodness, you don't have Christ in your heart dwelling and reigning on the throne of your life. Are you kidding me? Uh, Jesus, at the f- he's on the throne of my life. Yeah, I know. And that's how he feels about people too, right? Of course not. Where's the mind of Christ today? Where's the brokenness for somebody that's bound by a sin like that? I hope you feel the same way about somebody that's living with someone. At least you're consistent then. Oh, well, that's different. No, it isn't. It's immorality. It's wrong. I mean, where's the consistency in a believer's life? Listen, how in the world can you not look at somebody that's struggling with their gender identity and not be brokenhearted for them? What is wrong with us? I'm not saying that you embrace it. I'm not saying you invite it in your home. I'm not telling you to, to go ahead and just unleash the dog so it's being let it all happen. I'm saying flat out, yes, you stand for something. And as believers, we ought to stand, but we still can love. I don't get why the argument is, well, you have to love them anyway. You might as well accept them. Accept who? The who or the what? I can accept the who. I can't accept the what. And unfortunately, this mentality has caused believers to be very, very worried about reaching out to the world sometimes. We feel very isolated and, and, and so separated that we feel like our very, the implication that somebody is wrong will cause this explosion today. And unfortunately, it does sometimes, but not nearly as much as the devil would want us to believe. So the culture has become completely decadent. And the church, unfortunately, is subscribing to that and finding the same types of things in the church, very similar to Corinthians. But notice what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. Notice what he says to the church there. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. We have to stand fast in the Bible, the Word of God. Unfortunately today, that, it's not easy to do that. There are so many things standing in our way. We better shut this down.
Quit ye like men, be strong. Now listen, they lived in a decadent culture. A very sinful, wicked culture. And so the truth is, is that we in this particular world in which we live, no different than the Corinthians. Man, I mean, these believers were going out and doing their very best to, to reach the world. But in the church, it started, the sins of the past started creeping into the present church. And he says, you better watch. You better stand fast in the faith. You better quit you like men. You better be strong. It's going to take a backbone to stand against the, 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 the fads of culture and the, the, the direction the culture and the society is going. We've got to be willing to embrace the truth with resolve. Yes, we've got to love men and women of all walks of life and in any condition, but we cannot tolerate sin and evil either. During his, the pastorate of Henry Ward Beecher in Indianapolis, he's a great preacher from years ago, he preached a series of sermons uh, on drunkenness and gambling. And uh, during the course of those messages, he basically named them and shamed them. He literally brought up men's names in the community who profited by those particular sins. During the ensuing week, he was accosted on the street by a would-be assailant. The guy had a pistol in his hand who demanded a retraction of some utterance of the preceding Sunday. He said, you're going to take it back. Take it back right here, right now. Or I'll shoot you on the spot. Henry Ward Beecher said, shoot away. As he just walked calmly away. And as he walked away, he kind of hurled a remark over his shoulder and said, I don't believe you can hit the mark as well as I did. That's pretty crazy. I'd have probably went Hong Kong fooey on him. I'd have done a spinning heel kick, knocked the gun out of his hand. I can't even imagine doing that right now. I just, I'm hurting thinking about that. But anyway, <laughs> that's something else. I just, I, I read that and thought, man, that's amazing. But I mean, Henry Ward Beecher, he didn't pull any punches, but people didn't like it then. They're not going to like it now. And things aren't getting any better. You know, we may say, you know, I would be willing to invite and encourage folks to come to church, but don't ask me to tell them that they're sinners and that they're not right with God. Can I really tell you why we struggle with that one so much? Because sometimes in our hearts we know that there's things we should be getting right first. Boy, it's hard to tell somebody else that they're not right with God. And, and again, understand the, the, the context of that. Not right with God in the sense they're not saved. Not right with God in the sense that they're not, they're not pleasing God because they're outside of the family of God. But even that... That grates us sometimes if, if we're convicted about things in our lives that don't match up and we know God's not pleased with things in our life, we feel rather hypocritical and we ought to. So it says, you can't judge anybody. How many of you ever heard that one? Of course you've heard that. Well, that's the world's philosophy. That's the devil's philosophy. Look in Matthew chapter 7 because here's often the verses that they use to justify that one. You, you, can't, don't, you can't judge people. Don't judge me. You shouldn't judge people. First of all, look at the passage that's often used. And this is the one that stands out in my mind as well as others that have 
confronted me with this. Have you ever hear somebody say that Christians shouldn't judge? Do you know that the reality is, is that the church, it, judgment begins at the house of God? You ever hear that verse? It begins here. Now, it begins with us. We need to be judging ourselves in that sense. But boy, I tell you, if there's any place where God's law and God's word should be upheld and should be king, it's in his own house. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. It says, Judge not lest ye, uh, that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considers not the beam that is in thine own eye? Now, there are somebody in this passage here who has a beam sticking out of their eye. We're talking about a big old four by fours coming out. Got a four by four sticking out of your head. And yet you're telling somebody else, oh, by the way, you need to get that little toothpick out. So already we have somebody here. This isn't a normal situation. We have somebody that's being addressed here that's obviously judging, and he's saying, you know what? Of all people, you shouldn't be judging because you got a beam in your eye, and you're trying to tell them they got a toothpick. He goes on to say, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considers not the beam that's in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thy own eye? Thou hypocrite. Now watch. First, cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. So you mean you will see the moat. But don't you dare tell him to cast out that little toothpick while you got a beam sticking out of your eye. But if you get rid of the beam, then you're in a position to help him get the toothpick out. You get what I'm saying? I mean, that's what the verse is basically saying. I mean, we like to look at the first verse, judge not lest ye be judged. And that's where people stop. You can't judge anybody. You can't help but judge. In the sense that the Bible's already outlined what truth is. I mean, how is it? How can you not? Let me ask you something. You know, I got to be careful. What color shoes do I have on? Black shoes. Don't judge them. They're blue. You say, no, they're not. They're black. You just don't see straight. I'm telling you they're blue. And my reality is true. No, those are black. You can see that with your own eyes. But somebody said, don't judge me. I don't care what you see. You don't have a right to see what you see. That makes no sense. Again, it goes all the way back to relativism. It goes all the way back to this this new philosophy of what right and wrong is or what it isn't or it it is or isn't. It's confusing, is it not? Of course it is. Because it's not biblical. So, we find ourselves in a position where, man, I don't want to tell anybody they're wrong. Because somebody's going to nail me. Somebody's going to get on my back. Somebody's going to tell me that I'm... And boy, I'll tell you what, it's hurt confrontational evangelism. It has hurt soul winning. 
because church members even are so fearful of being confronted that they're afraid to give the truth even. See, visitation is safe, is it not? I mean, you visit grandma, you visit mom, you visit dad. That's easy, that's simple, right? At least for most families. I don't know about yours. That's supposed to be a joke. Nobody's home. They say the light's on, but nobody's home. So you visit mom, you visit dad, you visit friends and relatives. That's not a confrontational situation, is it? I mean, for the most part. It could be, I guess, under certain circumstances. But it's pretty relatively easy. I went and visited my dad for a short time today. We had a great time. Visits are easy. I visited somebody the other day. I visited a a, a lovely lady, 89 years old, that had visited the church. I had a wonderful time visiting. Now, she already knew Christ as her Savior, but it's easy to make a visit and just talk and have a good time. And you know the modern philosophy, and it's our philosophy as well, leave with the door open, right? You, you don't want to slam a door shut. As much as possible, leave with the door open. And that's a good practice. However, you got to give the gospel. you got to make sure you take the gospel to the world. There's always a possibility that someone's going to take offense to the gospel. And why is that? Because pff, truth hurts. See? And you know what? You don't need a savior till you're lost. And you know what you have to do before you can win somebody to Christ? You got to get them lost. And what do you have to tell them or show them before they're lost? That they're sinners. And boy, that just doesn't feel good sometimes. That's, again, a scary prospect. So the, the reality of that truth can be Pretty hard to swallow by people that they're sinners. And we're very egocentric today. We're narcissistic today. How many of you take selfies? How many of you love selfies? Go ahead, be honest. Narcissistic people. (laughs) You can take a selfie, you're okay. But truly, think about that. We are all about us, aren't we? It's becoming more of a problem all the time. And you guys are wimps because only three people raise their hands. And I know better than that. When my mother is taking selfies, I know more of you are too. I know better. Come on now. <laughs> come on. That's, you guys, come on. It's pretty bad. See, it's always about you. (laughs) And you know, let's be honest. And I I just want to kind of close this down real quick because today just kind of setting the stage a little bit. But, you know, people, you and I, we've kind of grown tired sometimes of hearing about our responsibility toward the lost. It kind of gets old sometimes, doesn't it? Now, maybe not so much in this church. I mean, we hear it, but we don't harp on it. But we make it very clear that soul winning is important. It's king. I mean, you know, what was VBS about? Can anybody tell me what the real goal of VBS was? To reach souls. 
And then we wanted to help young people and children understand you can have a good time being a Christian. So we kind of had a twofold thing, but the first and most important one was let's gather them together so we can give them what? The gospel. You know, why, why do we have Sunday school classes? You say to teach people the gospel. Absolutely. Teaching the word of God. You want to know why? So that they can be equipped to what? Tell others about Jesus. See, even the teaching ministry, the equipping ministry of the church is a tool to prepare people to give the gospel. Everything we do is somehow related to, connected with the gospel. It's important in your activities as a class that you invite friends to your class activity and that you have a gospel message. We're going to a graveyard. The singles are. We're doing a, a and, and I'm, I'm opening a can of worms because some of them were freaking out. There's a graveyard locally that has all kind of wonderful, old, nostalgic grave sites, you know, of, of very renowned people in the city of Akron and so forth. And we're going to do a scavenger hunt. It was online. They were encouraging people to do this so that they could learn about people of the past. We thought, this is a great idea. Why is it a great idea? I'm letting the cat out of the bag early. Because I'm going to give a message on what? Death. Man, you're in a graveyard. What a better place to talk about death. And the need to be saved. And then to live your life so that when the, at the end, you look at a tombstone and it reads, well, I can change the message now. Everything with a purpose, and the purpose is to reach the world with the gospel. And that's why we knock doors. That's why we visit. If we make visits on visitors, it's to ask them, if you died today, are you 100% sure where you spend eternity? I'll go just visit and say, we're so glad you visited us. Please come again. No, we go there to reach out to them with the gospel. So what's brought about this departure from the biblical proven method of reaching the lost? Well, one thing, the departure from soul winning to visitation. We've lost sight of, the, of what we should be accomplishing. We're visiting more than we're... We, we, we said visitation will take the place of soul winning. We'll invite people to church, but we will not give the gospel. And we didn't say it that way, we just did it. It's, it, it crept into our churches into our leadership. And before you know it, the very people that used to knock doors were now just inviting. And we've moved away from the biblical mandate to go into all the world with the gospel. It's a wonderful thing to be kind and gracious to people. You ought to be. It'll open up doors for you to witness and give the gospel. It's a tool but it is not the end game. The end game is souls. And that's what God wants us to reach. May God help us as a church to not lose sight of why we really exist. Yes, we exist to equip, but for the purpose of reaching a world with the gospel. We, we, we exist to create and provide fellowship, like-minded fellowship, with a purpose to strengthen and to encourage so that we are capable and able to reach a world with the gospel. 
so that we're not crushed by the weight of the world. Instead, we can impact the world for Christ. Everything we do at the church, in the ministry, according to the Word of God, is so that we can fulfill the real purpose that Jesus came, to seek and to save that which was lost. Father, we love you. We thank you again for the opportunity that we have to gather today and